Now, it's time for the NSCAA College Soccer Podcast with Dean Linke. The National Soccer Coaches Association of America is the go-to resource for soccer coaches of any level. From advocacy, education, and networking, the NSCAA has something for everyone. Join the world's largest soccer coaches organization today. Now, here's our veteran soccer broadcaster, Dean Linke. Hello, college soccer fans and members of the NSCAA. I am Dean Linke, and thanks for being with me for Episode 6 of the NSCAA College Soccer Podcast. We have another fun-filled program. I hope you will agree. We're loaded up again, and this week we will start at the junior college level, dropping in on Phoenix, Arizona, and John Ruzan, who has the Paradise Valley Community College women's team at 14-0 and number three in the NJCAA Division I women's rankings. We start with John because he made it clear that he chose to coach women's soccer on the heels of the USA winning the 1999 Women's World Cup and how it inspired his own daughter to want to play the game. Well, one of the leaders for the USA women, Heather O'Reilly, also watched that 99 World Cup, and she would go on to win two national championships at UNC, as well as three gold medals and a World Cup of her own. And fresh off her retirement from the U.S. national team, she joins us to talk about how college soccer prepared her for the international stage, as well as several coaches who impacted her along the way. I think you'll enjoy that. From there, we stay in the women's side as we visit with Betty Ann Kemp Townsley, who not only has Westchester at 10-0 and and number 11 in the country in the NSCAA D2 women's rankings, But who could forget that she coached the great Kelly Smith from England during her time at Seton Hall? The husband to longtime NSCAA staff member Ed Townsley, Betty Ann, is on the program. And we wrap up our coverage of the women's game to start the show with Tim Santoro, who after having great success as an assistant coach at Wake Forest under Tony Deleuze, now has NC State just outside of the D1 Top 25 in just four years on the job. The Wolfpack beat Anson Dorrance and UNC at Chapel Hill this year. NC State is 9-3. and They face Louisville tonight and Duke on Sunday. Tim is on the program. From there, we switch to the men's side. We're joining us is Paul Snape, who has Butler at number 10 in the country and facing number 11 Creighton and Elmar Bolovich this weekend. Butler's schedule is one of the toughest in the country. Just days after losing their only game of the season at Indiana, they beat a very good Georgetown team. The legendary Tony Toko, one of the all-time winningest soccer coaches with 45 years on the job at Rockhurst, has his team at number one in the country in D2 men's soccer with a 9-0-1 record, and he is on. You're going to love his interview. The man played soccer and baseball at St. Louis in college, and we also give some love to the D3 men's soccer world as Mike Baps, who played at Boston College in the ACC, coached under Mark Burson at South Carolina, And then, under Tim Lenahan of the Big Ten's Northwestern Wildcats, he's got the University of Chicago at 11-0-0 and number 2 in the most recent NSCAA D3 rankings. And, of course, he's on. See, I told you again, we cover every level, men and women, and we get started with the junior college scene right after this message. The NSCAA is 75 years strong and continues to provide quality service and benefits to soccer coaches. Whether you're a youth, high school, college, or professional coach, the NSCAA works to be a voice for you. Speaking of voice, once again, here's Dean Linke. 
Okay, we told you we were starting with the junior college scene, so quick updates first. NJCAA Division Three On the men's side, Richland College, coached by Sean Worley, is number one. And Mount San Antonio College, led by Juan Sanchez, is number two. On the women's side, D3 Junior College, San Diego Mesa College, led by Todd Curran, is your number one team. And the junior college Division One level, men, Steve Clemens, who was on the program last week, still has Tyler undefeated at 11-0 and number one in the country. Monroe College Bronx, led by Marcus DiBernardo, is number two. And for the women, D1 Junior College, Jeff Carr, already on this program, has Eastern Florida State still at number one, followed by Adam Hunter's Butler Community College. And at number three, it's Paradise Valley Community College at 14-0. John Ruzan, who replaced Casey Bingham after she led PVCC to a second national championship in 2012. John, who was born in Serbia and emigrated to New York City as a child, John has his team primed for a national championship, and he joins me now. John, thanks for being with us. Pleasure to be here, dude. Number two in the country, 12-0. and 0. Tell us about your team. What kind of team you got out there, Coach? Pretty good, I think. Oh, it's an excellent team. What we've got this year, as opposed to previous years, is, is tremendous depth. Uh, it bodes well for the future for us as well. Coming from Queens, New York, how'd you end up there? And how did I wind up at Paradise Valley Community College? Well, I... I'm a longtime club coach in the Valley, uh, very familiar with the with the, with the uh, older girls' uh, soccer scene in, in the Valley, and that's uh, that's eventually how I led me to uh, to this coaching position. All right, so talk about then the recruiting process because uh, we talked before we came on the air. You're not a full time coach; you also have another job. I think that's where you are right now. But how do you go about uh, recruiting and working? And you've you know you've got multiple hats you're wearing right now, coach. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's, it's, I could pat myself on the back. It's excellent time management skills, but um, given the nature of the school and the and the programs that we offer, um, you know, uh, our success is down uh, a lot to location. Um, that being that we're in a large metropolitan area, number one, uh, and number two, that we sit in the pocket of tremendous club soccer. We had uh, we have two ECNL clubs, uh, you know, within walking distance of uh, of our campus. Um, and we have uh, a whole lot of other uh, national premier uh, league teams and so on and so forth and, and involved in uh, you know in some pretty uh, high-level girls soccer. That plus the dynamics of uh, of Arizona soccer. Um, you know, we only have um, we only have for the four Division One women's soccer programs a couple of uh, NAIA programs. Um, you know, when you compare that to a state with a smaller population like Colorado, which has an enormous amount of NGA. Uh, uh, soccer programs compared to Arizona. Um, that's why we have such a thriving junior college system, especially in the you know the women's side of it. All right. As you analyze your team right now, do you have what it takes to win a national championship? Oh gosh, I I couldn't I couldn't tell you. I mean, uh, I, I'd like to think so. Um, the, the thing the thing about our uh, uh, our squad is that uh, if we do come out of the conference, and fingers crossed, of course, if we do come out of a, out of our conference. It will be battle tested. This is this conference is is a grind. You know, it's it's uh, uh, just getting out of this conference is difficult. We play an enormous number of games. We're already at 14 matches, which is twice as many as <clears throat> as what uh, some of our uh, some of the other teams on the poll have, have played. Um, uh, we'll play 20 by the time we even get to our conference tournament. So yeah, we'll be battle tested, and that's that's why, hearkening back to what I said before, depth is critical for us. So as long as we remain relatively healthy, we should. We should be able to compete. Talk about the day you said, you know what? I love this game, but I'm going to coach women. 
I can, it's funny that you had, you had Heather O'Reilly on earlier, and I'm going to connect the two dots for, uh, for us. I was watching the 99 uh, uh, women's team, U.S. women's team, win, win, the, win the gold medal, and I had a, had a little girl running around um, uh, with me, and that was my daughter at the time. And I thought to myself, you know what? There, can't, there is a future for, for women in this game. And that was that moment. That was that moment, without a doubt. Um, you know, and Heather O'Reilly uh, was part of a critical, critical uh, generation of players. Because while the 99 team really broke through and brought the game to the United States, um, you know, that, that follow-up act is critical. Um, if, if, if Heather O'Reilly and her, and her peers of that generation didn't succeed uh, and, and bring the game forward, where would we be now? Uh, it would have just been a flash in the pan, and it's not. So kudos to, kudos to the pioneers of the game like Heather. When you think about the way she played the game, mm-hmm. talk about if you could describe her to your current team, what would you say? She was a combination of, of, of heart, intensity, uh, focus, uh, and intelligence that you just, it, it's pretty rare. It's just pretty rare. You know, you, you, you'll, get, you'll get some of those things in some players. Um, but with Heather, uh, you know, and the, the thing I have to tell you is that it's not it, those those quality characteristics were evident on the field. I don't think I need to tell anybody that. You can just watch the videotape and see that for yourself. What you may not know is is, is the quality of the human being that she was off the field. I've never had a chance to meet her, but my daughter did, and my daughter is a college soccer player in Kansas City, and she actually got a chance to meet Heather and take a picture with her. And my daughter. She spent some time talking to my daughter about her ACL injury and coming back from that. So she she's inspirational on and off the field. Wow, John, an unexpected segue, a great introduction to Heather O'Reilly. And guess what? She joins me around the corner. Thanks to John Roseanne as the NSCAA College Soccer Podcast rolls on with Heather O'Reilly joining me next. When you join the National Soccer Coaches Association of America, you join a community who live and breathe the beautiful game just like you do. You join a network of individuals who share many of the same issues, concerns, and questions as you. The NSCAA is dedicated to serving coaches at every level of the game in a number of ways through advocacy, education, and service. Be a part of the coaching community. Learn more and join at NSCAA.com. 231 international appearances, 47 goals, three Olympic gold medals, and a World Cup champion to go with two national championships at the University of North Carolina. And that barely tells the story of one of the all-time greats to ever put on a USA uniform. We're talking about the great Heather O'Reilly, who's kind enough to join this week's NSCAA College Soccer Podcast. Heather, thanks for being with us. Thanks for having me. I'm happy to be here. Yeah, Heather, so obviously just announcing your retirement from the U.S. national team, you played in that game, you scored a goal in your final game. As you reflect a month later on your final game and your retirement, how are you feeling about it? Well, looking back on that game, it was just a magic, magical night. I mean, it was so many amazing conversations with my teammates and my coaches and to just go out on the field one more time with with the team, wearing that crest and be able to score, have a big win. With Mia Ham there presenting me before the game, my family being able to join me, it was just a, a really cool night and uh, a wonderful way to cap off my national team tenure. 
Well, you just had an amazing career, and the way you played the game just you know, with one speed was so fun to watch as somebody who's been covering the game for a long, long time, Heather O'Reilly. You brought uh, a lot of smiles to a lot of faces, and I know you're going to continue to do it with your professional career, and who knows, there's word that maybe Carolina will get a team. Any chance we could see you playing in North Carolina? <laughs> oh, yeah, there's been a lot of uh, talk about bringing professional women's soccer to North Carolina. And for me, that would, of course, be a dream because I love living here and I love this game a lot. So uh, those those two things colliding would be uh, picture perfect for me. So uh, I would love that. All right. So obviously, as we said, this is the NSCA College Soccer Podcast. And Jill Ellis was on a couple of weeks ago talking about the fact that all but one player on her team had just magnificent careers in college. So I want you to go back to 2003 to 2006 when you won those two national championships at UNC and just talk about how college soccer prepared you for the 200-plus international appearances during your time at with Anson Dorrance at UNC Chapel Hill. I don't think there was a better sort of uh, breeding ground, I guess, for the national team than being at, at North Carolina. First of all, I would say that the training environment was second to none uh, under Anson Dorrance, and he obviously has a very famous training system called the Competitive Cauldron, and what that refers to is a training environment where everything is tracked. Every, every game, every statistic, every shooting drill is recorded, and for a lot of young players, that might be a little bit too intense. That might be something that people sort of shy away from and uh, for the players that go to North Carolina I think that it, it creates a environment of accountability it creates an environment of respecting the game and respecting each other because you know you really can't argue with with numbers and I think that it created a place where not only is it okay to compete but it's absolutely crucial and necessary for the success of the team to bring it every single day. When you step out of the lines, you're friends again, but during <laughs> during training, you know, you're there to make each other better and you're there to make the team better. So I think that it was a very special environment that Anson was able to create at North Carolina. Very grateful to be part of it for my four years there. And I think that that environment not only leads to success in your college matches, but then leads to success, you know, outside of Carolina. And I think that so many players you know, besides myself, we're able to sort of bring that attitude and that training mentality to our experience with the national team. And I think that those those two entities, with Anson Dorans being an early coach of the U.S. Women's National Team and then, of course, at North Carolina, those two entities were very much historically intertwined. So I think that Anson's philosophy at Carolina has uh, permeated the environment and the fabric of the U.S. Women's National Team. And I... I'm very proud to consider myself sort of a culture carrier, I would say, of of those things and um, that I brought that to North Carolina and to the women's national team. Indeed. When you went to North Carolina, obviously you went there to get a degree, but you also went there to win national championships. You must have been thinking, because when you came in, you were already on the map for all of the U.S. youth teams and the national team. In fact, did you know that it was going to be that stepping ground to the national team? You certainly have those things in the back of your head that, you know, perhaps this could help me in my career and my goals of being on the women's national team. But I think as a young player, um, first and foremost, I was selecting a school that uh, would fulfill me 
not only in soccer but in in academics as well and i i just felt like carolina was the perfect fit for that and i think that in terms of using it as a way to get to the national team i i wouldn't say that i approached it uh as such i think that i approached it as a place that every single day i would get better and every single day you know it was not like i said not only okay to compete but that was the expectation and through doing so every single day and, and laying those habits that that leads you know carolina to success obviously led us to in my time at carolina a national championship in my freshman season and then again in my senior season you know not only winning but improving uh, your game helps you be seen with the women's national team. Talking with Heather O'Reilly, the superstar for the USA national team for so long, couple national championships at North Carolina. Besides Anson, who are a couple coaches that definitely made a difference for you, Heather? Uh, very fortunate that I've had uh, an amazing support system around me for my entire career. I would say um, another coach in the in the college scene right now in particular that uh, is very influential in my career is Mike O'Neill. He's up at Rutgers. Uh, he's a Rutgers head coach currently, and he was my club coach at PDA in New Jersey. And Mike has been uh, there for me every step of the way, not only, um, you know, does he have a fantastic soccer mind and, and, and certainly helped talk to me about, you know, games, and he would watch – film with me and talk about some of my um, performances, et cetera. But he was there for me um, as a mentor and somebody that I could call uh, during good times and bad. And I appreciate him and his friendship more more than maybe he knows. Um, Tracy Leone is another coach that uh, is extremely influential in my development. She was my U19 national team coach, and she – uh, you know, her husband Ray Leone is with Maryland currently, um, and and Tracy was influential because she, um, I think that she more than anybody taught me what it means to wear a USA jersey. You know, what that what that encompasses, what that means, what that um, embodies, and that U uh, nineteen team I think was a very um, it was just an extremely influential time in my life. You know, I was 17, 18 years old. Um, we won the we won the Youth World Cup. It was the first Youth World Cup um, of its time of, in that age group. And uh, you know, she she was just a wonderful coach and, and mentor. And um, I I carried with me a lot of those values that she ingrained in us in that very early age. And actually. Ashlyn Harris and myself, uh, Ashlyn was the goalkeeper for that team. And whenever uh, we had players from that team, maybe it was Leslie Osborne or Lindsay Tarpley or Lori Kolepny, uh, we would always say our like pregame chant, even you know, 10 years later, we would still say our pregame chant um, before U.S. games because that meant so much to us and Tracy, uh, Tracy Leone really laid a foundation for me of, of what it meant to play for the U.S. national team. What a great answer. What about coaching for you? Is that something that you want to do in the future, Heather? Have you thought about it? Yeah, I have uh, thought about it a lot. I, I definitely think I want to be a coach. I love this game a lot. I love working with young people. I love being able to pass on my passion for the game. Um, I think that at this, at this point in my career, this is you know certainly a time where 
you know, as I've I've just retired from the from the U.S. Women's National Team, and that was, you know, at this point, just my international retirement. Still want to play because I enjoy this game so much. <laughs> And, um, you know, but this will be a time where I certainly investigate, I would say, um, where my passions lie in terms of, of, of giving back through this incredible game. And um, I'm not sure at this point what age I think would be the most fulfilling for me to, to, um, to reach, um, but I'm, I'm certainly going to uh, put myself into environments to answer that question and See what's the best fit for me, but I'm excited about the prospect of of teaching the next generation. That's certainly very much in my future. Well, I know in, in addition to coaching, you also could make a career doing what I do, and that's broadcasting. You'll join me in the booth for North Carolina, Florida State. We've called a handful of games together as well. You also are very good at that. You could dabble in that too, I think, Heather. <laughs> Thanks, Dean. Uh, yeah, I, I'm excited about you know trying some different things. I think. I, I really put my heart and soul into the women's national team for a long time, and um, and that's what it takes at that level to you know to to impact at at the highest most elite level. It takes 100% commitment. So I'm I'm looking forward to now having a little bit more flexibility and room to um, to try different things and and see where some of my uh, skills I guess that I've acquired through you know years and years of, of playing at high level. Uh, really translate and I'm looking forward to yeah I'm looking forward to being in the booth with you Dean and and again that's just another incredible way that I can you know share my passion of the game and my experiences in a unique way finally Heather we hope that as you consider coaching that you'll dabble a little bit with the NSCAA and come to the convention and try to share ideas Anson Dorrance has been a longtime supporter of the NSCAA we hope that you'll consider that as well Lisa Cole already threw out the invitation to me to come in January, so I'm looking forward to it. All right, perfect. We'll see you in L.A. Then Heather O'Reilly, she is fantastic. She's still playing, too, by the way. She may play another 10 years. She's probably the most fit player out there. Heather, we'll see you for that Florida State game in a couple weeks. Thanks for being on the NSCAA College Soccer Podcast. Awesome. Thanks for having me, Dean. The 2017 NSCAA Convention will be unlike any before. Taking over the downtown Los Angeles Convention Center January 11th through 15th. Network with over 11,000 peers at one of the education sessions, the extensive exhibit hall, or one of many social functions, including the college coaches reception and the All-American Luncheon. With more space and unique experiences, you won't want to miss out on the largest gathering of soccer coaches and administrators in the world. Register today at NSCAA.com. So much fun to have USA Women's National Team superstar Heather O'Reilly on the program. Now we continue with more focus on the women's college game moving to the D2 level where Grand Valley State is still number one. Jeff Hostler, again, already on the program and winners of the last two D2 national titles, has the Lakers rolling. Louis Theobald has the University of Central Missouri at number two. And Rob Berkowitz has East Stroudsburg University at number three, followed by Stonehill College and Western Washington University at four and five, respectively. Sitting at number 11 is Westchester University. And pleased now to be joined by Betty Ann Kemp Townsley, a 29-year veteran of college coaching, with most of that experience coming at the Division One level at Seton Hall, and we'll talk about that. But Betty Ann Kemp Townsley now enters her 10th year at Westchester University, and she has her team right around 10 and 11 there in the NSCAA rankings at the Division Two level. And she joins us now, Betty Ann Kemp Townsley. Thanks for being with us. 
Thanks, Dean. I appreciate you bringing me on the program. All right. Before we get into your success at Westchester, as someone who has coached the women's game for some time, Heather O'Reilly is on the program, and she has said so much about how the college game and her time in North Carolina prepared her for a successful U.S. national team career and then a a professional career as well. When you think about Heather O'Reilly with so many great USA soccer players, what do you think about, Coach? Well, I think about I think about the next level. I think about players that I have coached, Eaton Hall by the name of Kelly Smith, who has also played at that level, and uh, and and just the training and the environment that they're in every day, and just the excitement to be a part of um, what's happening with women's soccer. I think it's great that these players can go on and and play with their national team and play professionally. And that's, that's something I think about all the time that, that we didn't have growing up. And now these women today, the girls playing today, have so much to look forward to. And, and players like Heather and Kelly Smith and, and any one of those national team players, it's, it's really a joy to see and, and to see them come through the ranks of the college game. I'm so glad you mentioned Kelly Smith because we're definitely going to get to your program. But, you know, I covered the WSA. I was the voice of the Carolina Courage, did some of the national games of the week. And for my mind, Kelly Smith has got to go down as one of the top ten greats. Maybe even it's less than that. Maybe it's top five. I don't know your thoughts on that. But she was a phenomenal soccer player. How did you get her to come to Seton Hall, and where do you rank her? Oh, I rank her really as one of the top five, I would say, in the world. I mean, she truly is a special player. I've seen her do things with the soccer ball that I see most men can't do. Um, She's just a phenom. Um, How I got to know Kelly was through a friend of mine that was actually in England with a team, and Kelly's father approached him and mentioned to him that she was interested in going to the state to play. And he said, well, I have a few friends over there that I can put her in contact with. And I just happened to to be one of them. And so um, I put out a phone call to Kelly and we started talking about international quote unquote football. And I grew up in a German background. My father came to this country after the second world war. And I grew up at a German soccer club outside of Philadelphia So I knew a lot of international men that played the game, and my brother played professionally and played with some uh, past English players. So she and I hit it off really well. And before you know it, she said, you know, I really would like to come over and see Seton Hall and see New York City, and she came along with her father. And, you know, I introduced her father to the people that would be taking care of her, and he felt very secure and safe with that environment. And And so the rest is history. So she came to Seton Hall and set all kinds of records, not only at Seton Hall, but in the NCAA. So it was really a delight to be able to coach someone like that. Well, let's talk about your history. One side note, back in 2001, Betty Ann was inducted into the Philadelphia Old Timers Soccer Hall of Fame, becoming only the second woman to earn that distinction. So obviously Seton Hall and now Westchester, the Philadelphia area, has been very important to you. You spent all that time at Seton Hall, then moved over to Westchester. And here's the deal, Betty Ann. On this program, we talk a lot about covering every level of soccer, D1, D2, D3, and the like. Compare the level D1 and D2 since you spent such a long time at both. Well, I'll tell you, really, in terms of the competition, there's no difference. The players want to compete. They want to work. They want to challenge themselves. There's no difference there. I would say the difference at the Division One level is is maybe the speed of play at times um, is, is faster at the Division One level. And, 
you know, you're talking about the high Division One level. I mean, being in the Big East, of course, we had to compete against Notre Dame, UConn, West Virginia. So that was one of the top players in the country that we were competing against every day. So I would really have to say that the difference would be the speed of pet play. Um, but in terms of the environment, the girls really flourish in the environment. They want to compete and, and they want to do well. So there's no difference in that way. Well, your team is doing very well, 10-0. and You've had three games where you've outscored your opposition 5 to nothing. I think another one 4 to nothing. You've only allowed three goals all year. Clearly, you have a team that could win a national championship. Tell us about your team this year, Coach. That's a very special group of players. I do believe our leaders, our leadership is paramount um, on the team. We just have four captains that are very driven and they are there to motivate the players every day. Uh, the players like each other. We really do a lot of working off the field with the team, not just on the field. We do a lot of team bonding, and that really creates a lot of success on the field as well. We've been able to use multiple players on the field, which helps avoid injuries as well. So the key is to stay healthy, um, to stay focused one game at a time, and that's what we're doing right now, and I'm so proud of this team. Now, one of the things that's interesting about your position at Westchester is you're married to Ed Townsley, who also, I believe, coached this team back in the late 90s, right? Yes, he did. What kind of uh, advice did he give you before you took the job there? Actually, before I took the job, I when I left Seton Hall, I wasn't really considering on coaching college anymore. I thought maybe I'd go back to teaching because I... I had, you know, so much to do at the Division One level, so I thought, well, it's time to get out of soccer and maybe move on to something else. And actually, Westchester uh, contacted me, and, you know, I sat down with Ed, and we talked about it and discussed it at times and what the pros and the cons were. And I said, listen, I said, you know, if I decide to get in it and it's something I, I feel I don't want to do, you know, after a year or two, then then so be it. But I've been there 10 years. He's given me a lot of great advice, not just about Westchester, but about the game. And as you know, he was involved with the national team, national B team coach at one time and coached at a very high level with the United States Soccer Federation at some sports festivals as well. So you know, as you can imagine, our conversations at times get um, get passionate about the game, and, and that's <laughs> exciting, and that's what keeps us going. So we, we love to talk about it. I love it, and obviously you love the NSCAA, both longtime members. Oh, yes, absolutely. We try and get to, you know, every convention we can. It's a chance for us to, you know, learn some more about the game, but also, uh, you know, meet up with past friends and make new friends. It's, it's just great to see the game evolve. Well, 10 years later, and now you're 10-0, and 0, number 11 in the country, so it looks like there's no doubt that you're happy where you are. How long do you think you'll keep coaching, Coach? Oh, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Every day, you know... We just take one day at a time right now. So, um, I, you know, I don't know how much longer I can do this, but it's, it's a lot of fun right now, and it, I think it's keeping me young. So that, that's a good thing. <laughs> all right, 10-0. and 0. Let's see if you can run the table. Hope to see you at the end as well. Congrats on all your success, both at Seton Hall and in Westchester, and just in soccer in general. You've been a true pioneer. It's a pleasure to have you on the show, Coach. Thanks, Dean. I really appreciate it. Good luck to you. The NSCAA is 75 years strong and continues to provide quality service and benefits to soccer coaches. 
Whether you're a youth, high school, college, or professional coach, the NSCAA works to be a voice for you. Speaking of voice, once again, here's Dean Linky. Let's jump now to women's Division One soccer, where the parity in the women's game and the great teams all across the country has perhaps never been so strong. Paul Ratcliffe still has Stanford at number one with a 10-0-1 record. Their only blemish, a tie against Notre Dame. The Cardinal have a big game tonight against number seven USC, and on Sunday versus Amanda Cromwell and number 10 UCLA. Mark Rikorian in Florida State is number two. West Virginia and Nikki Izzo-Brown at number three. Shelly Smith on the program last week has South Carolina at number four. And Jennifer Rockwood's BYU Cougars are number five. Earning 22 votes in this week's NSCA Women's Division One poll is the NC State Wolfpack. And we're pleased now to be joined by Tim Santoro. What a job he has done now in his fourth season at the helm of the North Carolina State Wolfpack Women's Soccer Program. Of course, Tim Santoro, known as one of the top assistant coaches and recruiters in the country for so long, did a great job under Tony Deleuze and Wake Forest, a team that he's beaten a couple times already. And he joins me now with 22 votes in this week's NSCA rankings on the outside looking in. Maybe a win over Louisville and you're in the top 25, Coach. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, it sounds good. We're trying not to focus too much on the rankings right now. Louisville's off to a great start as well. So try to keep the momentum going. Um, exciting times right now, but there's a lot of season left. So we just try to keep it short term. All right. Obviously, it's a process in coaching and getting to the the highest level. You spent such a long time with Tony Luz. Talk about how he prepared you for this job at NC State. I mean, Tony's been a very successful coach at this level for a long time, well before I got there. So he knows the ins and outs of every part of running a program. So it's not just the coaching, which I, I think he's one of the better coaches I've ever been around, um, but just running a program from the recruiting to just that every facet. Tony's been just a, a great mentor, and it was a great five years with him, and um, there's definitely some things I took with me um, to NC State, and um, great opportunity for me to be with Tony at Wake. Tell us the story of how the NC State job and the opportunity unfolded. You get the call, the interview process. What do you remember most about that process, Coach? Well, from being at Wake Forest for five years, we played against NC State. I had seen them from afar. I knew some things about them. Um, what I didn't know, which I found out during the interview process, is how much the athletic director, Debbie Yao, has put into the athletics department at NC State in terms of facilities and budgets. Um, she's made it a very attractive job. And then once I knew what I knew from the outside, which was pretty good, and then I saw the inside stuff in terms of what uh, she was doing, it, it was you know, a chance to be in the ACC you don't turn down. I knew it was going to be an uphill climb. The program has been down for about 20 years, so I knew it wasn't going to be an overnight thing. And with early recruiting, you really don't get your own kids in for a couple years. So you just have to be patient. Patience was the thing I preached to the administration, to my team, to, to everyone involved with the process. and. Um, let's just start to see the fruits of our labor right now, but we still have a ways to go. Yeah, well, you're certainly not afraid of a challenge because you think about coming in the ACC, then you come into the state of North Carolina where you've got the Tar Heels, you've got your team that you spent five years with at Wake Forest, you've got the Duke Blue Devils who made it to the national championship a year ago. So just in the state of North Carolina and about 45 to 60 miles from each other yep. all the way down to Wake Forest, the competition's pretty tough, Coach. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely daunting. I mean, you, you know, but you know that coming in. You know what you have immediate to you, and then you also have, you know, the Virginia and Virginia Techs right down the road. And um, But now we've become such a, a, a more of a national conference with Notre Dame, Pitt, Syracuse, 
but you wouldn't want it any other way. It's, it's just a great conference uh, for six, seven weeks every year. You just look forward to playing the best, and the opportunity to try to build a team that can compete against them was really a big attraction. And um, even with the losing the last couple of years, I'm enjoying every minute of it. Yeah, including this year, knocking off the North Carolina Tar Heels. Doesn't matter what year it is, when you beat the Tar Heels, it's a special game, right, Coach? Well, of course. I mean, what Anson's done over there over the last few decades, it will never be matched. Um, and they're still pretty good. I mean, they're, 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 not, they're not doing too bad, and they've had a couple good ties lately, and I still think they'll have something to say about everything in the end. And uh, so for us to go there and, and get a win was big um, with it being UNC. But for our, our group, we hadn't won an ACC game in a couple years. So to just win any ACC game so early was nice, and then one of that magnitude helped it. All right, well, talk about your group. Obviously, you're having success. We mentioned the 22 votes in the recently released NSCAA Division One rankings. What kind of team do you have? Young, old, international, American? What do you got, Coach? We're very young. Right now, we're starting 10 freshmen and sophomores. Um, two of those freshmen are a couple German kids from Bayern Munich. Um, so, but, you know, across the, uh, across the country, we have kids from everywhere. And, uh, so, but we're, we're, we're mostly freshmen and sophomores. We have five upperclassmen. Um, so we still have a lot to learn and, you know, a lot of maturing to do. And, uh, but we're, we're learning as we go. And, uh, every game, you just feel like the young kids are, are just picking up on things and, and, and getting better. So uh, I think our better days are actually in front of us. But, you know, it's, a, it's been fun so far to see this group kind of do what they're doing. Um, but they, they have some goals that they'd like to reach before this year ends and you know, several ways to go to achieve them. Well, with wins, you're going to get attention. and You're not going to be able to hide it at all, including being on the NSCA College Soccer Podcast. Do you feel like your team's ready for that attention and the next step? They are. We're four games into the ACC season, so I think they've realized you know, what this is about. And um, you know, we really don't go into a lot of the, the rankings and, and all that kind of stuff yet. It's just, it's just not something that we... We, you know, it's great publicity for recruiting, but with, with the team, we really just go game by game and try to keep the keep the vision short term. And um, if we have some of that stuff at the end of the year, I think that's the time we'll enjoy it and look back and say we've taken a step forward as a program. Um, for now, you know, I try to shield them from that and. Uh, just make sure they're concentrating on Louisville tomorrow night. How about women's college soccer in general? So much parity. Any team can win it now every single year. And also uh, just the fabric of the international game, not just for the U.S. national team, but you're seeing college stars play for Canada and Mexico and Costa Rica and on and on and on. I just feel like women's college soccer is stronger than ever. It is. Um, the parity, that word, is, is the best thing you can talk about with college soccer because you can go – not just the power five, but you even have some good mid-majors who can compete with anyone on any, any given day. And a lot of that is because of the international influence, um, but also just the amount of players at a high level that are playing the game in this country. And People are doing the work. People are getting out there and recruiting and finding the diamonds in the rough. It's something we had to do while we were trying to build this program. We couldn't just go with the, the big names, the national team kids. So. A lot of people are doing it, and um, a lot of resources by schools are being put into it. You have a lot of full-time staffs that can get around the world to recruit, and it's showing. And um, the parodies, I think, is great for the game. Finally, for your development, now as a head coach in the ACC, will you lean on, will you use the NSCAA at all? You lean on anything you can. I've been a member of the NSCAA for such a long time, well before 
even my wake days and my NC State days, and um, it's where I got my introduction to coaching courses and that type of stuff 25 plus years ago. So um, I'm always looking for everything that I can I can improve, and NSCA is a great avenue for that. All right, Tim Santero doing a great job out at NC State. I'm hoping to call one of your games sometime in the future. Love to see you guys up close and in person. Congrats on all your success and good luck against Louisville, Coach. Thank you very much, Steve. By being a member of the NSCAA, you are a part of the world's largest network of soccer coaches. Here, you can find like-minded people passionate about bettering themselves to help better their players and ultimately to better the game. Welcome to the NSCA podcast for the week of October 3rd. I'm Chad Waller giving you exciting information again on all news around NAIA men's soccer. Let's get started. Oklahoma Wesleyan is again king in the coaches' top 25 poll as they rank number one for the third straight week. The Eagles are riding a 23-match unbeaten streak and go for their 24th straight winner tie Wednesday against Southwestern out of Kansas. During that streak, the Eagles have gone 21-0-2. Here's a remarkable stat for the Eagles. It's the fact that the defense has allowed just one goal through eight matches played this year, while the offense has scored 20 markers. Quite the remarkable stat for Oklahoma Wesleyan. The 23 straight wins or ties for Oklahoma Wesleyan, however, is not the longest current streak in the NAI. Number 8 Campbellsville University boasts an NAI best 24-match undefeated streak. The Tigers have not lost in over a year as they have gone 21-0-3. Number 24 Spring Arbor University out of Michigan and 25 William Carey University out of Mississippi are this week's newcomers in the top 25. Spring Arbor last held a ranking last year on September 29th, while William Carey's last mention occurred October of 2014. There are two upcoming top 25 games this week in NAI men's soccer. On Wednesday, number 13 Bryan travels to number 10 Union in Kentucky for an Appalachian Athletic Conference showdown, while number 23 Cumberland out of Tennessee visits number 21 Lindenwood Belleville on Wednesday. There are still nine undefeated teams in men's soccer as the list has slimmed since last week. Five teams suffered their first loss in the last seven days. Of the undefeated teams, Hastings College out of Nebraska leads the NAI in wins with a 12-0-0 mark. Individually speaking, Alexi Picasola of Lindsey Wilson has been named the NAI National Men's Soccer Offensive Player of the Week, and Nikola Kvedzik of Northwestern Ohio has been named the NAI National Men's Soccer Defensive Player of the Week. Picasola scored seven of the Blue Raiders' 11 goals in two matches, tallying 14 points in the last week. He scored four of the Lindsey Wilson's seven goals in a win against Cumberland's Kentucky, and three times he found the back of the net in a 4-4 draw against number 8 Campbellsville. Looking defensively, in two shutouts last week, Kvedzik of Northwestern Ohio uh, recorded the two shutouts and has now gone over 380 minutes in goal without surrendering a goal. That stretches over four matches without allowing a goal. So congratulations to both of those players. Looking at the NAI goals leaders this year, Daniel Whitehall of Hastings College has an NAI best 20 goals in 12 matches. He has already surpassed his season high of goals set last year when he had 14 goals in 15 games. The next closest is Jao Costa of Truett McConnell with 16 goals. That concludes this NAI Men's Soccer Edition of the NSCA podcast. 
check back next week for more exciting news around NAIA men's soccer. Well done. A solid look at the NAIA on the men's side. Now here's a look at NAIA women's soccer. Spring Harbor University remains the number one team in the new NAI Coaches Top 25 poll announced Tuesday. This is the Cougars' fifth consecutive number one, which is the most in school history. The Cougars are off to an outstanding 10-0-0 start on the year. There are three new teams in the Top 25 Coaches poll in NAI Women's Soccer. Number 18, Park University out of Missouri. 24, Cardinal Stritch University out of Wisconsin and number 25, Embry-Riddle Aeronautical University out of Arizona. The last time Embry-Riddle was in the top 25 was just a few weeks back on September 20th. The last time Park was ranked in the top 25 was way back in 2009 when the Pirates were ranked number 19. For Cardinal Stritch, this is the first time ever in school history the Wolves have been included in the top 25 coaches poll. Congratulations to those newcomers. Benedictine College out of Kansas became the 15th team in NAI women's soccer history to reach 300 program wins. This was accomplished this past Saturday, October 1st, as the Ravens defeated Jamestown College 2-0. Congratulations to Benedictine. In the early going, we find that both Kaiser and Spring Arbor lead the NAI in wins with a 10-0-0 mark. Julia Scotian of Fisher College again is the goals leader uh, in the NAI, as she has amounted 23 goals, eight more than any other player in a span of 10 games, which is an average of over two goals per game. The junior has amassed 94 career goals at Fisher and is nearing the top 10 list of NAI career goals leaders. She needs 17 more to crack the national top 10 list. Emily Key of Park University has been named an NAI National Women's Soccer Offensive Player of the Week, while Abby Shu of Grace College out of Indiana has been named the NAI National Women's Soccer Defensive Player of the Week. Key recorded seven goals and two assists, which amounts to 16 points in two matches last week for Park. Shu for Grace College recorded 11 saves against number 23 Marion to help, the lead, help lead the Lady Lancers to a 2-0 victory. That concludes this NAI Women's Soccer edition of the NSCA podcast. Check back next week for more exciting news around NAI Women's Soccer. The NSCAA is 75 years strong and continues to provide quality service and benefits to soccer coaches. Whether you're a youth, high school, college, or professional coach, the NSCAA works to be a voice for you. Speaking of voice, once again, here's Dean Linky. Thanks to the NAIA for that great update in the last segment. Now we move to men's soccer, starting with Division One, where Maryland remains undefeated and the number one team in the country. Sasso Soroski and the Terps will face the Ohio State Buckeyes on Friday night, 7 p.m. on the Big Ten Network. I will have the call with Chris Doran. It's a rematch of last year's Big Ten Tournament Championship game. Hope you can tune in. The Terps will also face West Virginia on Monday. The Mountaineers led by Marlon LeBlanc. Bobby Clark's Notre Dame Fighting Irish fresh off a 4-0 victory over the Indiana Hoosiers are number two. They face number 11 Wake Forest on Saturday. Syracuse, remember Ian McIntyre was on the program a few weeks ago. They're number three. North Carolina under Carlos Samuano, number four. Mike Noonan has Clemson at number five. 
five, and Denver led by Jamie Franks. They still haven't lost a game in forever. They are nine zero and two, and at number seven, Kenny Lola's Louisville team is number eight. And what about Butler? Under the direction of Paul Snape, Butler, number nine, they face number 10, Creighton and Elmar Bolovich Friday night. That should be a good one for sure. And Paul Snape is joining me now, entering his sixth season as the top man at the Butler program. He came over from the University of Michigan, where he was a longtime assistant to Steve Burns. And he's got his team as number nine in the country, taking on number 10, Creighton. But check out this stretch from September 24th, Providence, Indiana, Georgetown, Creighton, Denver, then St. John's. Are you kidding me, Paul? That's brutal. Yeah, when I put it together, I thought, hey, this this be kind of nice and balanced. And, and then I looked at this stretch, and the games before were really difficult. But this stretch is definitely one of those where we're going to find the character and the mentality of the team. So it's tough, but my players absolutely love playing against really top programs, and it kind of gets the best out of them as well. Yeah, this team's already played Louisville to start the season, played Tim Von Stieg at UCSB, always a fun place to play as well. Then took on Indiana, had the lead and lost, but what do you do? Respond about three days later, four days later, by beating a very good Georgetown team 4-3, to three. and that's one of the reasons why I wanted to get you on the program, because you know you got that Derby game against Indiana, you've got that game in the bag, a heartbreak loss, but your team recovered. Talk about the spirit of the team to recover from that loss and beat a good Georgetown team. Yeah, I w- after the Indiana, it was gut-wrenching. Not because Ind- Indiana were good on the day. Anytime you go down to Bloomington, they high-press you. They're all over you. They're good attacking. they got a ton of uh, history and tradition, and the players always play with pride. So what was this point? We were 2-0 up with 15 minutes to go, and we didn't go defensive. Uh, just Indiana, to their credit, just worked themselves back in the game. We still had a couple chances, but you could see the disappointment on our boys' faces at the end. It was the first time some of them had ever tasted defeat, uh, but the message was, hey, it took one of the best programs in the country to put every ounce of energy and effort to beat you tonight, and it's all about how we respond to Georgetown, who's a very good team. And the boys did really well. They come out. We got a 4-2 victory. Um, obviously, you don't like giving up goals. But, you know, a couple of things we've worked on. Um, I saw in the game against Georgetown, we attacked really well. But it was really the character, the mentality. So I was very pleased with the boys. What about the soccer in Indiana right now, though? Notre Dame just throttling the Hoosiers last night. you got Butler, Notre Dame, Indiana. I mean, that's some pretty good soccer. Yeah, I saw the result last night with Notre Dame, and I'm like, wow, because Indiana's a very talented team. Yeah, you've got the north, we the central, and Indiana's a little bit south, but I think it's a testament to, you know, what's going on. And in the Great Lakes areas, really, there's a lot of great talent. And then when you look at the state of Indiana, IU's been here for over 40 years, and Bobby Clark's done an amazing job up there. So it's very strong right now, and um, hopefully in the future I can continue. We'll always continue to play IU, but I'd love to try and play Notre Dame because right now they're the number one team in the country or right up there. Yeah, I'm not surprised based on your schedule that you would say that because it's impressive how you're taking on the Giants in soccer. Let's kind of look nationally. I mean, here you are at number nine. Elmar Bolovich has Creighton at number 10. But really, I mean, any team can win the national championship in men's soccer. The parity is unbelievable, Paul. Your thoughts? It is. When you look at when you look at the last 20 years, you know, I've done a study, looked at who's won, how they've won, kind of how many goals they've scored and, you know, how many goals they've given up. And it's incredible. 
level like this year, there's probably 25, 30 teams in the mix. You know, next month, I think it will probably, realistically, you're looking about 16 teams. But it can come from anywhere. You know, when you look at the Marylands of the world who were just so dominant, and but then you look, the ACC is incredible, so many teams. But then you look on the West Coast, Few teams out there play incredible soccer, very talented, and then with our own conference, the Big East as well. There's some really top teams, so it's fun. There's, it's going to be, um, it's going to be, uh, it's going to be an incredible journey for these next couple of months, and we'll, we'll see who's going to win it. Can't tell you right now. I'd love, I'd love one team to win it, but I can't tell you yeah. exactly who's going to win it. Well, clearly you're enjoying your time at Butler, but before you arrived at Butler, of course, you came over from England, went to school at Oakland. Very good player there, and not too far away in Ann Arbor. You got the job with Steve Burns in Michigan. I think you were there eight years, so clearly a great run. Talk about your time in Ann Arbor, Paul. Yeah, Steve Burns offered me the opportunity to work with him in 2003, and uh, it was fantastic. At the time, I wasn't I wasn't actually sure if I wanted to be a coach. I was going through, a, you know, looking at a few career options. And when Steve came in, he showed me around Ann Arbor, and I instantly knew that this was going to be a place that I would love working at. And then as I got into the job, I realized the complexity of the of the of the job, the nature of the job, and it really it really got me stimulated. It wasn't just about just X's and O's, laying down cones. It was about getting to know the players, the recruitment side doing the psychological. So I had a wonderful time. Uh, we didn't have everything. I mean, when we first started in 2003, I was working with Steve Burns and Ernie Arbor. There was a lot of things that we didn't have in Ann Arbor. Our fields, we didn't have a uh, proper practice field. Uh, we were sharing all the times. The facilities weren't that great. But over those eight years, everybody... Uh, worked together and then by the time we left we had a new stadium uh, brand new stadium training complex everything really kind of top notch and it was definitely a fun time and I left that last season we got to the final four the college cup in Santa Barbara lost 2-1 to Akron but incredible uh, experience for me so yeah talk about the transition did you leave the very next year or did you leave after Steve was let go no, I left just after the final four, so in 2011. So I spoke with Steve, and I'm eternal grateful for what he did for me. And at that time, I said, you know, I just feel it's my time. I feel like I'm ready to go on 35 to become a head coach. I feel I've learned a lot from being at Michigan. And I left in February 2011, so just right after that final four. There was quite a few departures. I know Suni Saad had left, who was one of the best forwards in the country. Justin Miram had just been drafted into MLS. Moody and a lot of people I'm not sure people know but Caleb Stanko who's a national team player was supposed to come to Michigan he ended up going to sign pro over in Freiburgs with another guy called Sean Cunningham so there was a lot of there was a huge transition after that so it was tough for Steve to be able to deal with I think six seven people actually left after that but it was fun times that 2010 season what has the NSCA meant to you, Coach? It is huge because when I first got into coaching, probably around about 2000 as well, I, was, I wasn't I was sure what I was going to do, if it was just to make some extra money, get myself through college. But then as I got through, there was a few people in the state of Michigan, um, Don Gemmel, Paul Bardashup, Bob Bakari, these guys were advocating go and get your licenses. And so I did my D license, then I did my C. And once I got on my C license, I met some wonderful people, Dan Donegan, 
Um, loads, loads of great people out there, and it just kind of it become this coaching fraternity and people sharing ideas. And then when I got into coaching uh, college, then I saw so many people on the road, and then conventions, and it's in, it's incredible what they do. The NSCAA for college for high school as well. And when I go back to England, I tell everybody about how incredible this convention. A lot of my friends from England will come over to the convention every year for three, four days. So, yeah, really impressed with what they do. And it looks like college soccer is becoming even more important to the NSCAA. You live in Carmel, Indiana, and there's been some great soccer players out of Carmel, especially some great female soccer players. So we got to know if Scarlett Sidney, Palmer Lola, and Madison Marie will follow in that footprint of great women soccer players in Carmel. Absolutely. <laughs> Scarlett's already playing for uh, Indiana Fire right now, the old Carmel. So she's up there. She's got to work on her foot skills as well, but uh, they'll be up there. They love the game. I haven't forced them into. I haven't forced them to watch soccer or play soccer, but every Saturday morning, 7.30, 7.45, I'm first up, and then girls come and watch me. And I'm a huge Liverpool fan. Um, my mum is a huge Everton fan, and I'm, I'm, unfortunately, she has brainwashed the girls to become Everton fans. So um, it, soccer, soccer, soccer in my household every single day and at the weekend. All right, finally, it's Butler Creighton this weekend, Elmar Bolovich. If you do these two things, you'll knock off Creighton. What are they, Coach? Defend really well in the box and continue the attack with the speed and purpose that we've been doing. All right, Butler's number 9 in the country. They face Creighton, number 10 in the country. What a job Paul Snape has done in 2013. He got 11 wins. Last year, 10 wins. Definitely going to surpass that this year and expect to see Butler make a long run. Who knows? You could see them in Houston. Paul, thanks for being with us on the NSCAA College Soccer Podcast. Absolute pleasure. When you join the National Soccer Coaches Association of America, you join a community who live and breathe the beautiful game just like you do. You join a network of individuals who share many of the same issues, concerns, and questions as you. The NSCAA is dedicated to serving coaches at every level of the game in a number of ways through advocacy, education, and service. Be a part of the coaching community. Learn more and join at NSCAA.com. Great to have Butler's Paul Snape in the last segment. Now we move to Division II men's soccer, where Simon Fraser University, led by Clinton Schneider, is at number two in the country. But we turn all of our attention to the number one team in the country and D2, Rockhurst University, located very close to the NSCAA headquarters in Kansas City and led by a legend of the game, Tony Toko. You know, few coaches in all of college athletics can boast a more impressive record than Rockhurst men's soccer coach Tony Toko. His 662 career victories coming into this season ranks second on the all-time list among collegiate men's soccer coaches. And guess what? He's got nine more already, and he's got Rockhurst University at number one in the country in the recently released NSCAA Division II men's rankings. A true legend of the game. Tony, thanks for being with us on the NSCAA College Soccer Podcast. Well, thank you for having me. That's a lot of wins. Some of those also come in in NAIA. Obviously, soccer's meant a lot to you. Just talk about uh, your run. It's been incredible, Coach. You know, I've had great support. I mean, the school has done phenomenal for us, and, you know, 
the only other thing you can say you've had great players. If you just take a look at the players I've had, I, I've just been so blessed to to have just great, great uh, kids play for me who've uh, who've done so much for the program while they were here and now that they're out of it. I, I've just been very, very blessed to have all, all, all the support that I've had. Well, you were also a blessed athlete, so I want to back up a little bit. A 1967 graduate of St. Louis University, Tony played on the only undefeated and untied soccer team in St. Louis history in 1964, and you pitched in the College Baseball World Series in 1965. You also received your master's degree and Ph.D. from St. Louis. But talk about that soccer and baseball. You don't really see that combination anymore, Coach. You know, you don't. I mean, it was such a great time back then because kids were, you know, there was two things happening. Kids weren't specialized back then. You know, when I was at St. Louis, so many people, our baseball team consisted of seven players who had played soccer that fall with me. So, I mean, you, you saw dual sports all the time. And I, I really mean it. I, I, I really enjoy it. When soccer was over, I looked so much forward to baseball. When baseball was over, I looked really forward to soccer. Kids today play one sport all year long. I, you know, I, I don't know if that's good or bad. I think it makes them a better soccer player. I, I just don't know what it does for them mentally. I, you know, I keep on hearing about more and more kids get burnout, burnout, burnout. I, I hope it isn't because of that, but it, it, it's just one of those things. I, I truly enjoyed the dual sports, and I so, know so many of my friends did also. So it, it, I wasn't unique in this area. It, it was just a trend. We had one player who played both basketball and baseball, and, and basketball is such a long season. But, I mean, back then it was very common for everybody to play two sports. How good were you? And I know you're not the kind of guy that breaks or whatever, but what sport were you better at, Coach? I was better at soccer, but I love baseball. You know, I, I had bad, I really had, I had great stats in baseball. I, you know, there, our coach was so smart, Roy Lee. We had two pitchers who were just fastball pitchers. They threw in the high 80s, low 90s. And then I would come in with my junk, and that's all I had. I was junk on junk on junk. One person said my fastball couldn't break a pane of glass. <laughs> <laughs> but I love baseball. I had great stats. Uh, you know, I, I averaged maybe 10 strikeouts a season. You know, I, I, everybody on the field knew that the the the, the team that I was pitching against was going to hit the ball. I was very very blessed. I mean, I really was. I had I had great success at St. Louis, my pitching and everything else. But I think I was a little bit better goalie than I, I was a pitcher overall. All right, you got your master's degree and your PhD from St. Louis. What did you do before you ended up at Rockers, or did you go immediately there? Well, I, I worked a little bit in St. Louis, but mainly I, I once I, I was working and in, in get my master's, and then I went straight to Rockers. An opportunity showed up. Uh, my mentor, Dr. Charles Wooler, who was the head of the accounting department at uh, St. Louis U, called me in one day, and he had always talked to me about teaching, and he said, there's an opportunity up at Rockers University. We, uh, I, I think you would be great for it. I talked to the people at Rockers. I got hired, and the rest is history. Wow, what a great history, too. 45 years at Rockhurst, your entire coaching career. NAIA from 73 and 97, where you played in 17 national tournaments, advancing to the Final Four 10 times, and finishing the national runner-up four times at 73, 76, 79, and 97. Already inducted into the NAIA Hall of Fame, you moved to the NCAA Division II level in 1998, and coming into the season, your record 225 86 and 38. So clearly, you love it at Rockers. You build a program that is always there. What's so great about Rockers? Tell us. 
First of all, it's a great school. I mean, academically, it's really good. Our, our overall GPA for our kids for the last 10 years, I, I don't, I, since we've really been keeping track of it, has been about a 3.3, 3.4. Uh, the majority of our kids major in uh, the sciences, pre-med, pre-den. Uh, and, and, and so they, they get a great education. The kids love to come here. But the other part of it, I, I'm surrounded from a soccer stand. I'm surrounded by great soccer. I'm surrounded by St. Louis. I'm surrounded by Kansas City. I'm surrounded by Des Moines. I'm surrounded by Omaha. There's so many great, great kids to choose from, from an academic and a soccer perspective. And, you know, I I think the tradition of Rockers helps us recruit better players. Better players want to stay with the winning tradition, and we've been very fortunate to have that tradition so kids want to come here and play and go to school and and, and play soccer here. Well, your team reached the national semifinals in 2013 and last year. You're now the number one team in the country chasing down that national championship. How important is that to you, Coach? You know, and I truly mean this. It's You know, I've always said this, you know, what would I rather do? Would I rather win one championship and not ever, ever be good again? Or would I rather be just constantly good and not win the national championship? And I, I chose the latter. Would, would we love to win a national championship? Sure. I mean, who wouldn't? Who wouldn't want to win it? I, you know, it, it was a great, one of the greatest feelings as a player to win a national championship. But it, it, is it the end all? The end all is to be there. You can't win it without being there. The end all is to really be good every year so that you have a chance to get there. And that's the most important part for us. We want to be good every year. We want to be the best in our conference. We want to be the best in the Midwest so that we can get to that Final Four and have a chance to win it. We want to win it, yes. Is it the end all? No. Well, that's well said, Coach, and, and your record speaks for itself. I love seeing the names you're nestled up with. I started with U.S. soccer in Colorado Springs and went to a ton of Horse Richardson's games at Colorado College. I was there at the NSCA when they recognized his incredible career. Of course, Jay Martin continues to win games, and he's so involved with the NSCA, with the Soccer Journal. And there you are right in the middle of those two. That's pretty good company, Coach. It's great company. It, it really is wonderful, wonderful company. It really is. The beauty of soccer, and I truly mean it, mean it is to meet people like Jay and to meet people like Horse and to meet people that that I've met along the way, Cliff McGrath and all the great, great, great coaches and, and people who have who have who have played and coached this game and, and really elevated the game. These are people who truly have elevated the game beyond just soccer. And, and to know them and be associated with them and even be mentioned in the same breath is quite an honor. Obviously, you know about family, and of course, you've got a great family with Phyllis and Amy and Natalie, Leonard and Charlie, but the NSCA has been an important part of your family as well, right? Oh, my God. I, I've been a member of the NSCA. I don't know. I, I can't remember when. You know, I don't go back that far. It, the NSCA is one of the major reasons why soccer is where it is. It's promotion through the ranks. And, and, and you know, Colleges are important, but it's promotion and development. It's certification programs from all the way down from club coaches at the lowest level all the way to the highest level, to the academies, to, to the high schools, to, to the colleges. That's what made that's, – that's, NSCAA should take in large part the credit for the development of soccer in the United States. 
Finally, academia is really important. You already talked about the GPA. You're a full-time professor and the head of the accounting department at Rockhurst University, so you've got the complete package. Obviously, being a professor must be important to you too, Coach. You know, I, I always said this, you know, teaching accounting and soccer are, 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 are the same thing. Coaches are teachers. Where they teach it is a little bit different. One, I teach accounting in the classroom. The other, I teach soccer out on the, out on the soccer field. I've been blessed because I've had great, and I truly mean it, I've been blessed because I've had great, great associates. I don't call them assistants. These, these are guys who are associates. Right now, my current associate is Giorgio Anton Giromoli. He is so good. He is, he is one of the most phenomenal young coaches I've had the pleasure to coach with. First of all, I coached him as a player, and now he's my, my associate. What a wonderful job he has done. And to see him develop over the years he's been with me, he's done a fantastic job, and he's in large part the reason for our success over the last number of years. Tony Toko's got Rockers at number one in the country. D2 men keeps on piling on wins and here's the deal Tony if you do get that championship and I think you might we're going to talk to you at the end of the year as well okay out of your mouth and into God's ear that we get to talk at the end of the year all right thanks for being with us coach thank you very much bye-bye The 2017 NSCAA Convention will be unlike any before. Taking over the downtown Los Angeles Convention Center January 11th through 15th. Network with over 11,000 peers at one of the education sessions, the extensive exhibit hall, or one of many social functions, including the college coaches reception and the All-American Luncheon. With more space and unique experiences, you won't want to miss out on the largest gathering of soccer coaches and administrators in the world. Register today at NSCAA.com. Time now to talk D3 soccer and on the men's side. How about the University of Chicago? 11-0, up from number three. Now your number two team in the country trying to chase down Trinity University in Texas. And we're pleased to be joined by the head coach at University of Chicago, Mike Babs, now in his fourth year at Chicago. And he's already had an impressive career, learning from some of the best. Mark Burson at South Carolina, Tim Lenahan, who I feel like is one of the best coaches you will ever find. The job he's done at Northwestern, unbelievable. And just down the road from Evanston, now Mike Babs is in Chicago. Mike, thanks for being with us on the program. Yeah, no problem. Thanks for having me. Let's start there, though. Mark Burson, Tim Lenahan, and, of course, you also played at Boston College. They're led by a great coach as well. Talk about your mentors right there, those two, and your Boston College coach. Uh, It's been, you know, my coaching career and playing career, it's been pretty awesome just being able to learn from different personalities and, you know, guys who I think approach it, you know, in slightly different ways and also being, uh, you know, unique institutions and, you know, learning how they build programs and and kind of tap into what uh, you know what's unique about each of the schools. Uh, you know, I, I had a great playing career joining BC as a walk on, and uh, you know, really had an awesome experience, just sort of challenging myself as a player there and learning from Ed. And then uh, you know, I spent five years at. South Carolina with Mark and I mean he's a guy that's just he's he's seen it all at this point and uh you know really just such a depth of knowledge in every area of the game and then Tim you know unfortunately I was only there for a year but uh I it was uh, I feel like I got about as much in out of a year there as I possibly could it was uh it was such a great experience and it's such a unique culture there and the success that they've had there with 
you know, kids who I think are really balanced as far as their challenges of academics and athletics and, and yet still able to achieve at a really high level. Short time at Northwestern, but, you know, you're talking about a program at Northwestern that when he took it over, hadn't won a game and it seemed like a decade, let alone a Big Ten game. And here they are competing for Big Ten championships in 2011-12. They had the double in one of those years. I mean, obviously, he's created a new culture. What's What was his key to success, do you think, as you take a look at what he did at Northwestern? And what did you take from him? Uh, I think it had so much to do with the culture there. There's such a an importance placed on every personality that comes into the program, either player or coach, and, you know, just developing such a commitment to each other uh, because we had to win games in different ways there. It wasn't that, you know, every game wasn't a situation where we stepped on where we were going to have the ball the entire time. Some games we we had the majority of possession, but we just we had to really uh, kind of – explore different ways of beating teams and get uh, players bought into how we were going to do that. And uh, it was just such a, it was such a great environment to be around. And, you know, I was there when Neil Jones was the other assistant who's doing a great job at Loyola right now. And uh, I think it was just such a um, interesting place to be and such a dynamic. I mean, it was really at a peak where we had great senior leadership and, and guys who understood what we were trying to do, who could kind of pass it down to younger guys there. And it was unfortunate I was only there for a year, but it was such a valuable experience just from a cultural standpoint, kind of seeing how you get guys bought into what the mission is. And, and I think really the importance of every person you bring into the program being someone that's going to add something, you know, not just on the soccer field, but in the locker room. All right. So you get the call from University of Chicago. When you got the call, how much did you know about that program? How much did you know about D3 soccer? Uh, Well, I started my coaching career at Washington and Lee. So I, I had a pretty decent knowledge of D3 soccer. And there were you know, as I progressed in my coaching career, I would say there were a handful of jobs that I just knew if they opened would be something that I had a lot of interest in. Having been in Evanston, it was funny that I'd, I'd never, and I actually lived in Chicago three years after I graduated from college, I'd never come down to campus. And so when I came and interviewed here and walked around campus, I was pretty blown away uh, by, you know, the fact that this the school and campus was so close to the city of Chicago. Um, and I think it, you know, there were, there was a lot of uh, crossover with Northwestern. I mean, obviously the D3 mission's a little different as far as the off season. And I think just a slight uh, you know, difference in the balance of priorities uh, with academics and athletics, but uh, just a lot of similarity in the types of, you know, the type of kid that you're trying to attract. Um, so when I came down here and visited campus, it, it was just something that seemed like a, a great place for me to be as far as all the places I've been and the things that I really enjoy and the types of kids that I, I uh, you know, really enjoy being around and I think are really kind of interesting and, uh, you know, fun to, to challenge and the athletic side of things. It, it seemed to be a, a perfect fit for me at this point in my career. Well, you're doing great. First year, nine wins. Last two years, 12 wins, including making it to the NCAA D3 second round of the tournament. Now 11-0. and 0. 
You've got a gazillion shutouts already. A couple games ago, you scored six goals. Tell us about this team. What kind of style are you playing out there, Coach? We've added uh, you know, more technical players and a little bit more athleticism you know, with the idea that we want to play a very proactive style. I mean, we, we want to uh, control the game by being on the ball, but we, we also have to have uh, just some uh, versatility as far as how we attack and how we build up. And, you know, I think having athleticism in the right positions and, uh, you know, I think we were very fortunate Last year, with some of the guys that we brought in, uh, just attacking-wise, it just sort of changed the dynamic of the team. Uh, you know, we've got a great target forward who was actually a, a center midfielder before he came here but settled in as a nine towards the end of last year and has uh, really taken off this year. And we, uh, you know, a right wing that came in last year is, you know, if he's not the most athletic, pacey guy in Division Three, He's definitely in the con- conversation. Uh, and, you know, getting those types of attacking players just, I think, allows us to put more pressure on teams. And, uh, you know, I just I think this year is the first year we really, at every position, we have someone who I think, uh, you know, kind of fits what we want out of that role. And we've got a layer of depth behind it that I think is – Maybe the biggest change we've got this year is just the level of competition we've got at every layer on the team. Uh, I mean, every guy in this roster is a guy that can compete for time, and it it makes practice very fun and competitive, but I think it just drives the level of, of every kid on the team. We just talked about the record, undefeated. At the end of the day, everybody wants to win a national championship. From where you sit now in your fourth year, do you have the pieces to win that national championship, Coach? Uh, I think we have the pieces to to win. You know, when we step out there, we've we've got a really good chance to win every game. And you know, as the season unfolds, that it's uh, you get to that that point, and hopefully making the postseason and just going game by game. But um, I mean, we we feel you know at the outset of every season, we want to feel like we've got a team that's got a chance. And then it's just that that process of just building game to game. Um, and you know, right now it's, uh, I think one of the, the awesome things about being at Chicago is the league that we play in and, you know, we play, we started last week and every game is because we don't have a postseason tournament is, uh, there's just so much on the line. So it's, uh, I mean, wow, we feel that you know, we should have a chance when we get to the postseason. The, uh, the the conference is is really what we focus on now, and we know that if we get through the conference, we're able to manage and prepare for every team and 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 get good results there. That we're gonna we're gonna be prepared to do something in the postseason. Finally, turning it back to Tim Lenahan, who obviously I'm a big fan of, Philly, New Jersey guy. You're from Pittsburgh. What kind of conversations did you guys have? Because Tim's not shy about stating his opinion. Yeah, I just try to stay out of that one. <laughs> Tim's got strong strong opinions on Philly sports, and also being a former goalkeeper, it was. Uh, he's also got strong opinions on goalkeepers too. So we. We were able to find middle ground on a lot of those things, and I don't think during our time or my time there that we really had any important Philly-Pittsburgh clashes, so that was that was probably good for our relationship.
Uh, you played in the ACC. You coached down at South Carolina, Northwestern. You're in Big Ten country as well as Northwestern with Big Ten. Where do you see yourself in five, ten years from now, Coach? Uh, I don't know. It's tough to say. I- I'm just incredibly happy here right now and with what we're doing and, and building. It's uh, as far as being part of an experience, uh, you know, educationally and academically, this, this school is pretty tough to beat. And, you know, with all the uh, energy that we've put into building this thing over the past few years, you just feel like we're, we're right in the middle of it. Uh, so it's, uh, you know, it's tough to, and and certainly with my career as an assistant, it's I think it's one of the things you learn in this business is that you just you never know where it's going to go. You just kind of you just focus on the next game. All right, well said, Mike Bapp. So good to reconnect. Always fun talking to anybody that's been on the bench at Northwestern, particularly since uh, I'm in Chicago quite a bit. We'll be there on Friday actually for Maryland Ohio State on the Big Ten Network. If uh, you're not doing anything, have a listen as well, or make sure you record it. Okay, Coach. Oh, I watch all the time. That's uh, yeah. I'm I'm always watching the Big Ten Network anytime there's a game on. All right, I appreciate it, Coach. We're going to be following your career and hope to see you at the end. And if you do win it, we're going to have you back on on the year end program. Okay. Well, then I hope to be back. <laughs> all right, thanks, Coach. All right, Dean. Thanks a lot. Thanks, Mike Babs, and thanks to all of our guests: John Ruzan from Paradise Valley Community College, their women's program; the great USA women's superstar and recently retired from the national team, Heather O'Reilly. Westchester women's soccer coach Betty and Kemp Townsley. Tim Santoro, head coach of the NC State women's soccer team. We also thank Butler head coach on the men's side, Paul Snape, and Rockhurst legend Tony Toko, Chad Waller from the NAIA, and a special shout-out to Pat Madden and Rob Kehoe from the NSCAA College Programs Department, as well as NSCAA CEO Lynn Burley-Manuel and their director of marketing, Sean Chevro. We will see you same place, same time next week. I'm Dean Linke saying thanks for listening to the NSCAA College Soccer Podcast. When you join the National Soccer Coaches Association of America, you join a community who live and breathe the beautiful game just like you do. You join a network of individuals who share many of the same issues, concerns, and questions as you. The NSCAA is dedicated to serving coaches at every level of the game in a number of ways through advocacy, education, and service. Be a part of the coaching community. Learn more and join at NSCAA.com.